This is KPFK 90.7 FM. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. What it is, what it is. Good morning. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host, coming live from KPFK Studios with something new or unusual to talk about for stimulating conversation while you are driving, chilling, cleaning, fixing, cooking, whatever, wherever you may be at this moment in time. Today on Conversation Piece, we may reshape or confirm your music taste and playlists as we get into the discussion about building a united front against murder music with Kwabana Wazuli of Clear the Airwaves Project, whose objective is to clear the airwaves of violent, destructive lyrics on radio stations that are specifically geared towards the youth. Find out what is murder music and how to support many black artists who music still loves and respects us. But first, let's talk with Derek Steele, Executive Director, Social Justice Learning Institute in Inglewood, California, working with and preparing our next generation of youth. Derek started his journey with Social Justice Learning Institute after a diagnosis with hypertension at the age of 25. It was there at S. J-L-I, that he began to figure out how to recreate local food access system 
to health disparities and food insecurity in the Inglewood community and beyond. Welcome to Conversation Peace. Yeah. Telling folks to do something. Hey, that's bad. Oh. 
I'm Angela Birdsong. You're listening to Conversation Peace. Next, Derek Steele, Executive Director, Social Justice Learning Institute in Inglewood, California. Derek Steele, welcome to Conversation Peace. Oh, man, this is fantastic. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me uh, to be in the space and to share about the work that we do at the Social Justice Learning Institute. This is going to be great. Yeah, it most definitely is. I, I drive by you guys' office often, and I'm like, what is this colorful building? Oh, we on Sentinella. <laughs> what they do up in there? <laughs> That's one of my favorite things, that, like, when, especially folks that we run into who live here in Inglewood or pass through Inglewood all the time. That, that's one of the things they always say. I've always wondered what this colorful building was and what you guys do. And so it's so great to meet somebody and to, to learn more. So I'm excited for sharing a bit of that, especially for some of uh, your listeners who may actually be here local uh, to know what we're up to. Right, right. So what are you guys up to? Who are you well, guys? So the Social Justice Learning Institute, we were established in 2008 here in Inglewood, California. Our mission is to improve the overall health education, and well-being of youth and communities of color. And we do that by empowering them through what I believe are the three pillars of the organization. Uh, The first one being research. We are an institute, so yes, we do conduct research. uh, But I think what makes us unique is who's doing the research. It's our students and scholars in our urban scholars classes doing youth participatory action research. It's our community members that may be doing community health assessments. It's our supporters and volunteers that may be door knocking or maybe even phone banking to ask community members about social policy and also advocacy efforts that we may be working on. But we take all the information that we get from all of that information gathering and data collection and data synthesizing, and we create the training for folks, which is the second pillar of the organization. We want people to have the knowledge and the know-how of how to create the change they want to see in their community. And we believe that once you have the information from the research and you have the know-how from the training, then you've built that capacity within yourself to be a person who can mobilize community, which is the third pillar of the organization. So if if I were to say what we do best as an org is really building people, uh, we want people to be able to use their own agency in order to change each other's lives. And so we do that work day in, day out. We are a vessel, we are a resource and community in order to bring about the change we want to see with equity as a pathway in order to get there. What changes have come about so far? Oh man, we've been busy, very, very busy. Our flagship program is our urban scholars class that I mentioned earlier. And so we're working with youth in school, young men of color, all throughout the county and also in Houston, Texas. Uh, It's a class that they can take. And those students who go through that class, They not only learn about social justice and the shoulders of which they stand upon in history through heritage-based instruction, but we're also providing them the tools to practice that social justice through the the youth participatory action research that I was telling you about. So it's like a year-long class that they take. And and the, the reason why I'm starting there is because the biggest change is the change in them, right? Those youth are bringing those projects to bear and being able to present them to people in seats of power to, to be a part in, uh, or a leading and driving force of things like, uh, if you've heard recently about LAUSD moving uh, uh, not almost $100 million into uh, Black Student Futures, and they moved that out of the police budget uh, for, for LAUSD. If you've heard a lot of the movement around Measure J 
uh, our youth have been right in the mix of not only helping to get Measure J passed, but also and helping to make sure that Black voices are at the center of the work that's happening there. Um, you know, our youth are leading the way on so many different fronts. And you know, we've also helped to pass uh, state initiatives like Prop 47, which brought home nonviolent offenders. Uh, in fact, some of the youth that were participating in that had their fathers and their uncles come home because of the work that they were doing, right? And so uh, I think that has been some of the, the biggest transformation for me that I've seen of being just seeing those youth who started not really being as confident, but then stepping up as ages of change in their community. Uh, but we do nutrition education classes. We built 126 gardens here locally uh, in Inglewood and Lenox in people's backyards, at the schools, um, in the community. Have you ever gone to Queen Park Learning Garden? Uh, that's us as well, you know, because we're helping to train, change the built environment to make it more conducive to healthy lifestyles. Uh, but yeah, from working with people, working uh, from, from changing the built environment to, to create thriving communities and also changing systems through policy and advocacy, we're, we're doing work all over the spectrum. Queen Street Park. I've seen that garden there. My family, we have our, we have our annual um, cookout there. We used to have it the last Saturday in July. So <laughs> I know that spot. Is that open to everybody to go over there? Yeah, or how, how does everybody. that work? It's open to everybody. Like the way we built it was for it to be a communal space. And there are community members that live over there that help to take care of certain boxes. But we as a as an organization help to help to maintain the the overall garden space. But people are able to come and grab as much produce as they would need for their family uh, and also provide, you know, resources back to the space, too. And and we use it as you know, that's the reason why we have the outdoor uh, seating area, the outdoor kitchen, as well as the stage so that community can use it however they see fit. So then to hear that your family is using the space, too. That's fantastic. That's exactly the reason why we built it the way we did. All right. All right. I, I got I have I have to let my sister know that my sister that I live with because she walks the dog over there sometimes. And I told her, do they still have the garden over there? And she said, yeah. I said, I think we can get stuff. She's like, I don't know. Now we know we can go over there. Where are, uh, where are some? So 126 gardens in Inglewood and Lenox. You guys got the urban scholars. That's a lot right there. What else do you guys do? And how do people how do people participate? How do people become an urban scholar? Yeah, so our urban scholars class is actually in 25 schools all throughout LA County, right? So we're in we're in six different school districts, including LAUSD, Inglewood Unified, Compton. We're in Antelope Valley. We're in Long Beach, and so so we're in the, in these different uh, different districts. And certain schools actually have the program uh, for youth uh, for young men of color. Now, the selection of students for those classes, you know, we're not the type of organization and we don't do the type of work that is looking at the talent at 10th because most times those students already have wraparound support and they're already on the path towards success. We're working with the other 90% of students and actually going even deeper than that, students who are dealing with absenteeism or behavior issues or even credit deficiencies. We know that when you can get students to graduate high school, you're, you're disrupting the school to prison pipeline uh, significantly, right? And so that's one of the main functions of the work that we're doing. We wanna put them on a path towards success into, the, into adulthood and, and disrupt the system that is actually putting them in the deficit 
uh, in, in their life and also in their communities, right? And so uh, the, the student selection in that program really comes with the relationship we have at the school, working with the counselors uh, to make sure that the students who actually need that support are actually ones who are being a part of our program. And I'm really excited because we are doing the work to build out our Urban Scholars for Young Women uh, program as well. So most of our work have been for boys of middle color, particularly for young black males. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we're concurrently working for young women in the same way. Uh, it's a question that we normally get asked whenever we're going to districts and we're talking about the work. Do you have a program for young women? It's like, we always say we're working on it, but now we can be honest and say we're actually physically working on it. So it's pretty cool. You guys are having an effect on the total human experience, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, so who, who found it? this organization, Social Justice Learning Institute? So the Social Justice Learning Institute was co-founded by Dr. D'Artagnan Scorza and Dr. Omar Gardner. Uh, but it was actually the brainchild of Dr. Scorza. And his work and dissertation when he was studying at, at UCLA was built around how to create programming for young men. The, the, the real fundamental thing he wanted to be able to do was bring college level practicum to the high school experience for young men. Uh, Cause he knew that once you could pre- prepare the youth with a critical lens around the, about the world that they have around them, it opens up their eyes around the importance of them being thoughtful about the steps they're making as they move forward and, and uh, move forward in their life, right? Uh, we knew that the, the school to prison pipeline and really the education that they, well, I should say the schooling that they were getting at the time uh, was not preparing them for the next steps. And so there were some extra extra pieces that he wanted to add to that experience for them to be able to open up their eyes to the world that's around them, take them to school and campuses uh, you know, across, across the state that they didn't even know actually even existed, to make sure that they can understand the world around them through, through critical theory, understanding social justice and the work that actually really transpired for people who actually lived a life before they did as you, you know, before they as youth are doing right now, how they can actually see the similarities to those things, how they can be agents of change, just like those that came before them. Right. And so uh, he built the program, the the organization off of that program. But what's really cool about this, um, and and I'll I'll underscore this and, and stop here. The Youth Participatory Action Research Project is a very, very important piece of what we do. Because it's not just teaching students about the history, it's not just teaching them about the world around them, but it's giving them an active participating part of the world around them. Teach them how to do the literature review, teach them how to do the surveying of community members and their peers, teach them how to understand a issue that they wanna tackle, and then also come up with solutions for that issue as well. Uh, So early on, uh, one of the the YPAR projects that you did was taking a look at the food landscape in the world and in, in the the area around their school. And because they took a look at that and actually uh, saw that there was an abundance of fast food restaurants, uh, an abundance of uh, liquor stores and convenience stores in their in their community, learning about the planning process of how that how that actually took place over time, and then also come up with a solution of how to disrupt that system, they wanted to build a community garden across the street from their school. So they took this presentation that they created, took it to the school board, took it to the city council, and actually got land that was right across the street from the school 
offered to them to be able to build the first community garden in Inglewood, which was the Empowerment Community Garden across the street. And because of that work, there was community member at the same time who really wanted to actually build more gardens. So because the students had laid the groundwork, it opened up the door for the organization to take on a larger project of building that 126 gardens that I talked about earlier to be a part of the legacy of the work that we do here at SJLI. So I say all that to say that Dr. Scores' vision was exactly what you said, was to open up the capacity and the agency of people to be able to work together to create the, the, the fabric of change that they want to see in the world, not only in the future, but actually right then and there in that moment. If we work together and we find ways to actually um, align our forces, there's a lot that we can actually transform in our lives uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. How many students have come through you guys' program? Well over 1,700 students have been through the program over uh, the years since we started the programming back in 2008. Um, and one of the things that we're really excited to continue to do is not only just to help them get out of high school, but we have an emphasis right now on college persistence and also workforce development, right? Uh, we, we realize that the pipeline that we've developed is very, very strong for getting students out of high school. But we also need to make sure that we are preparing them to go into adulthood as well. And a lot of times it comes with that touch point of, of how the student is doing while they're in school. A lot of our students are first time college, college students. A lot of them uh, are, this is their first time actually getting into the workforce, those who come straight out of high school into the workforce. And there's a lot of skill sets they may not have. And so we see that as a responsibility of ours, since we've already started them on this path towards this critical lens of the world around them, how to make sure they can maintain those things with, uh, with their uh, movement and matriculation into life, into adulthood, right? Uh, so we are doing all the parts to make sure that this pipeline we have is solid as gold, uh, to make sure that our youth and our students are leaders, but also prepared for the things that are going to come when they actually move on to uh, the rest of their lives. So I know you guys must have a lot of the of, of your alumni who come back. Yeah, and we actually have some alumni who work here at SJLI too, uh, that are helping to serve the, and, and participate in our urban scholars programming and supporting the youth as they continue to matriculate. What better way than to have them be the voice of the future as well, right? Right. It's about coming yeah. back and doing the work. So why, why Inglewood Linux? You know, LA County is so large. Why, why did Dr. Score choose that area? Gotta take care of home first, right? Like you, you can't have this promise for how you're gonna create change for things outside of space if you're not taking care of home in the same way. Uh, Dr. Scorza is from Inglewood, right? Went to, he graduated from Morningside High School. And so that's the reason why the Urban Scholars class actually started at his alma mater. He wanted to provide the resources and the tools that may have come randomly in his mind for him and create a intentional and systematic way of providing those same type of resources for those youth. And so he didn't start some arbitrary place. I'll say he brought it back home. And that's the, the linchpin of what, what makes our programming different than most, right? We are really making sure that students have the mindset of not getting the education and getting the skills and then taking them elsewhere. But you take those things, you get those skill sets and those other places that you may go, and you bring it back home to enrich and to empower the place where you came from. That is how we actually lift from an equity standpoint 
the the playing field and make it level for the for the place that where we exist, especially black folks, right? Uh, there's this mentality that has has existed over the years of uh, most of our folks getting uh, getting educated and not wanting to come back to the place that built them, right? We're transforming that every single day with every single student uh, and making sure that they have the mindset of how they can create change today, but also be part of the change tomorrow. Now, as gentrification is coming into most of our urban areas, are you guys taking a, a different type of stance to, to educate people about that? Or what's your response to that as, as, a, as a research institute? Yeah, so in looking at this issue from an education standpoint, even from the health and the built environment standpoint, when you start to try to transform the built environment and change, transform people's minds about how they can be impactful in that, you can't just look at people's personal health uh, in that way. Like you actually have to be looking at the social determinants of health if you're looking at the built environment. How does transportation have a role to play? How does housing have a role to play? How does the economics of that area actually have a role to play? And how does the education of the, of the people in that community have a role to play in those things? And when you look at those orbitals that are outside of the person, right, looking at the built environment, you realize that if those things are not stable, then it's really very, it's very difficult for that individual to be stable as well, right? So if we are trying to be transformative for the individual, we have to be transformative in the built environment too. And the housing front is a very, very big deal. If I'm spending more than 60, 70% of my household income on keeping a roof over my head, then how much money do I actually have in order to make sure that I'm eating healthy, that I can pay the bills on my car, if I have a car, pay the bills on my light, and you know all the things that come into play. You end up realizing that there's a lot of people who are surviving in our communities, not thriving. And so our job is to bring attention and also to bring transformation into those other spaces like housing and the other spaces like the economics and also in the education spaces. That's where that's where that policy and advocacy work that I was talking about before, where our youth are having conversations around how to move money from the police budget into actually the futures of most impacted uh, folks like black folks and black students. How we're talking about uh, a right to counsel for for folks who may be in the space for eviction, because when you when you look at the numbers, especially here in Inglewood, about ninety five percent of the cases that come before the eviction judge goes into the favor of the of the homeowner. I mean, of, of the homeowner or the landlord, right? So if you have right to counsel for folks who actually have, you know, for the tenants that have to go to that space, I think we start to change the paradigm and we have different deals so that people can stay in their homes. Because if people aren't standing in their homes, then people aren't going, those students aren't going and standing in those classes because those families are being displaced out of those areas, right? So then our, our education space is actually impacted because the amount of students who are actually going to class is lowered every year as well, right? So all of this plays a, plays a role together. It's actually intri intricately um, uh, impacted together. And so we have to actually, we have to do the work to, uh, to be transformative in all these spaces for the better so that the individuals can actually thrive as well. Because at the end of the day, we want people living thriving lives because when you have a thriving life, then you have the ability to impact other folks so that they can have thriving lives as well, right? So that's what we're trying to do. You can't just change the paradigm for an individual. You have to change the paradigm of their built environments as well. 
Who do you guys partner with? Uh, we, we can't do this work alone. So it comes through partnership. You know, uh, for the education work we're doing, we're a part of something called the Bloom Alliance. Uh, so that's us and Brotherhood Crusade and also Youth Guidance um, uh, through their Building a Man program, uh, where we're actually doing the work across almost 50 different schools throughout L.A. County uh, in our various programs. We're also a part of the Brother Son Cells initiative, um, which includes the organization I just mentioned, including um, uh, uh, Inner City Struggle is a part of it. Uh, 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 Coco is a part of it. Um, uh, organizations uh, across the board, I can name I, all of them are not coming to my mind, but we partner with organizations uh, same size as ours and those who have the same emphasis on equity, uh, you know, across across the county and also in the other states that we work with, too, because you can't do this or you can't do this with your idealisms and you can't do it with just talking. It comes with boots on the ground. And so all of us have to actually galvanize together to be able to be transformative in the spaces we want to be. Um, you know, we didn't do the work for the, the, in transforming the budget in LAUSD alone, right? Uh, members of the Brothers and Selves initi uh, uh, initiative was a part of that. Um, you know, uh, if it wasn't for the youth uh, that were also working with Students Deserve, uh, which is a part of Black Lives Matter, like Black Lives Matter LA, like that work, all this work that we're doing, it doesn't happen in a vacuum just with one organization. We're galvanizing together to be transformative and changing paradigms and changing systems so that the world can be a better place for our folks. What do you guys need from the community? Continued engagement, right? And and being and what I mean, what I mean by engagement is not just coming to the events when we have events, but it's also reading those newsletters when we send it out, because a lot of times it has the information that we're trying to get to you so you can know how you can vote or you can know how you can be engaged, how you can be a part of the change and that we're trying to create in the environment. Um, I tell people all the time, most folks get involved with the mobilizing efforts and, and mobilization is a part of organizing, but mobilizing is not just organizing, right? So if you're part of an organized effort to change something, we have to actually work together to be able to create that change. We have to uh, come together in coalitions sometimes. We have to come together and, and, and come up with uh, cultural practices of how we wanna engage with each other to be examples of the world that we actually wanna create, right? Um, so we can't do that alone. The, the organizations themselves can be representative of folks who, in the, who are in community who may be impacted, but those who are impacted need to be the leading voices of the things that need to be changed. Because who better knows than those folks who are actually living that life day to day, right? So we're asking those folks who are impacted, yes, I know a lot of, a lot of us are trying to survive. I just mentioned that, right? And, and a lot of times we don't have the time, the space or capacity to engage and be in these other spaces to bring our voices to the forefront. But if there's a survey that's being sent out, fill that survey out. Because that survey is a way for us to get a representation and understanding of what's going on with you. If there is a community meeting and you happen to have some time on that Saturday, come show up, especially if it's virtual. Spend a couple of hours with us to be able to give your feedback and your input because that impact, that input and that feedback is what leads us and guides us in our decision making on how we need to tell the powers that be how things need to be changed in the world. So we have to work together in that. And so that's what we're asking you all to be a part of with us. Right. Just engage in the best way that you can. 
How can we find you? What is your contact information, your website? Got you. So you can find SJLI at www.sjli.org. That's our website. So you can see what's going on. You can be uh, involved and understand what's, what's happening with the organization. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. If you like Instagram, you can follow us at sign SJLI underscore CA. And if you happen to be in Texas listening to this, it's at sign SJLI underscore TX, right? Uh, so you can see what's actually happening in the world around you. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook. It's uh, SJLI social justice learning Institute. Uh, so you can, uh, or if you just put URLs, facebook.com backslash my SJLI. Like we're, we're everywhere. So it's hard to miss us. And, and, we, and we try to get out as much information as we can. If you join the mailing list, uh, we can definitely make sure to keep you updated with the newsletters and all the information that we may be putting out so you can be engaged, like I was asking you to be uh, just a previous ago. So I'm excited you know, to get the word out. Uh, my name is Derek Steele, as I mentioned before. I am the executive director of the Social Justice Learning Institute. I've been with SJLI for well over 11 years now. I'm excited to continue to do the work here. Um, and that, that continuity of leadership is the reason why we've been able to continue to make the impact that we have over the years. Uh, and, but again, it's not just us here. It's also you there who have been a part of this mission with us as we uh, continue to elevate voices and also make sure people have their agency being used so we can change each other's lives for the better. Excellent. Excellent. Well, like I said, when I met you, out at an event at the SoFi Stadium here in, in the city of Inglewood, I already know you're going to have to come back on conversation piece because there were so many different things that you popped in there that, that, that I, I need to hear more about. And also, we need to meet your wife, who is also <laughs> part of Social Justice Learning Institute and hear about the health equity that she's participating in. So Derek, thank you so much for, for explaining what that colorful building is <laughs> over there <laughs> on Sentinella and that you guys are doing some serious, serious work mm -hmm. in our community. Thank you for what you are doing and thank you for being on Conversation Peace with me today. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, and you're listening to Conversation Peace. Oh, 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 oh,
Welcome back to Conversation Peace. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, with my next guest, Krabana Wazuli of Clear the Airways Project, whose focus is to address the murder content and music aimed at our youth and at our society via the radio airwaves. Kwabana and others are building a united front against murder music. Welcome to Conversation Peace, Brother Kwabana. Hey, Sister Angela, good to be here with you. Yes, yes, it's been it's been quite some time since the last time we spoke on air, and I'm glad to see that you are still moving forward with clearing the airwaves. Now, tell me, what is the definition of murder music? Music that pretty much promotes and encourages people to shoot and kill each other. Music that dehumanizes people. Music that tells you that you're in I-G-G-A's or E-R's. Music that calls your women folk B's and H's, tells you to be materialistic morons, to be drug addicts, um, to be drug abusers, alcoholics. And those are the main issues, <laughs> issues of the music and the majority of music that's programmed to the masses of our children and youth. And, oh, oh I forgot one. Points, don't forget about porn stars. Right, right, yeah, porn, porn, porn rap, porn rap. I, I think you were explaining some of that to me uh, the during during our our pre interview. Now, now tell me, so porn music, murder music, is that different from ratchet music, or is it all 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 the same? I guess the ratchet kind of includes all of that. The ratchet includes what they call trap music or drill music or gangster rap, it, it's all included. Some beats may be slightly different, but all the beats sound the same pretty much, pretty most of them, uh, depending on if they sample from a older classic that we may know, like uh, PZ has a song where he's using Don't Look Any Further from um, Saida Garrett and Dennis Edwards. And uh, that became a major hit, um, Two Million Up. He's paying people money to uh, kill somebody once they get out of prison. Uh, he's he's hitting up a party. We first heard the song after thirty people were 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 shot at a Sweet Sixteen get together in Dadesville, Alabama. You ever heard of Dadesville, Alabama? No, I have not. <laughs> yeah, thirty people shot at a party in Dadesville, Alabama. Nobody never heard of it. It's it's just this stuff is so crazy, Angela. It's just ridiculous. Right. I mean, and, you know, I'm thinking it must has to be a small town in, in, in Alabama, but for 30 people to have been killed at, at, you said, a Sweet 16 party? Yes, and hopefully, unfortunately, 30 of them didn't die, but 30 of them were shot. Okay, and wow. I how many yeah, uh, didn't make tragic. it. But, and that was after six, 16, I think, were shot at a Sweet 16 party just west of Atlanta, Georgia, the, the month before that. And these are all occurring earlier this year. Wow. And so you're so you're you're correlating that these the the music that we're hearing pumped out on the on the radio airwaves is infiltrating our lives. It's is directing our lives. It's 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 filling our, our mind and with with negative actions. Is that is that what is that what we're saying here? That's exactly what we're saying. Music is culture. Culture is a people's way of life. Music is a major part of our culture. And if the music is telling you to take each other's life, 
and dehumanizing you, it, it, people don't feel any remorse about taking your life. You're not. You're less than human. It's almost like what took place in Rwanda when the, they were calling the masses cockroaches. What you do with a cockroach? You just stomp them out. And so it's 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 dehumanizing, and it's it's it's, it's pretty much what's in the majority of the music that is pumped up, pushed, awarded, and rewarded by this music industry and their killer radio stations, we call them. Killer radio stations. And and so this this movement, is this movement nationwide? Because I know you're in Indiana, and and you've been very active in the Indiana and, and in the Chicago area also with making sure that the masses are aware what's on the airwaves and how to get it off. Yeah, this is national movement. We work with the National Black Leadership Alliance based in New York, the Nubian Leadership Circle all around the country. They're based in D.C. Also, CIMOTAP. CIMOTAP is, is present in New York, in Ohio, and in Los Angeles. And so it's it's a movement. The Clear the Airways Project does not ha- really have any, any borders or boundaries because this madness is being pushed to the masses of our people on radio stations all around the country. For instance, iHeartRadio used to be called Clear Channel. They're in at least 28 markets throughout the U.S. pushing poisonous content only. And we got to reiterate, now we got to make sure people understand, these, these songs with these lyrics are only played constantly on radio stations that specifically target, and if you can see the quotes here in my voice, specifically target the young African masses, our children and our youth. Well, I think I need to start listening to more um, um, local music radio stations so I can find out what's going on here in in the Los Angeles area. Now, what is the now? Can can conscious music use profanity for emphasis? You know, I'm I'm trying to you know I you know I totally understand the the porn in in the murder music. And, um, the, you know, but what about conscious music that uses profanity? Is it, it, it is it because it of the context? It doesn't need to. It doesn't need to, but it can. It's public enemy will drop a couple of uh, F-bombs and say some periodically. It can. But I, I think, as an example, when we talk about this, I think about uh, Rakim, one of the most respected rappers of all time, who who nobody would consider a soft rapper. But you can count on your hands the number of times he said a curse word in, in his raps. Uh, you know, after almost 35 years of rapping out there, you can count on your hands 33 years of uh, of, of curse words or anything. He, he may have dropped one in bomb in all that time. So it, it's not an, it's not a criteria for you to be cursing and uh, and doing all that in your song. Now, right. I don't really now the one word mm-hmm. that we specifically. Uh, really have a lot of disdain for is that N-bomb. I don't say the word. I, I mean, I say it, it, it slips out of my mouth about twice a year uh, accidentally. Ironically, I, I told my brother, my brother just made transition. And it was a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to him and, and I dropped one out. We both laughed at that because he, he especially laughed at me because he knows I don't use that word. So we got a kick out of that because I, I dropped one on him. But that, that word is the most despicable, disgusting dangerous, evil, if a word could be evil, word in the history of English or any other language. 
And so it seems like it's a criteria in this music that it must be dropped. And my comrade Bob Law stated that the reason why these European handlers of these rappers make sure that they use that word in their songs is to assure the listeners, assure their European listeners, that they're not talking about sexually assaulting their daughters. Assure them that they're not talking about shooting and killing their sons. Therefore, they drop that word in almost every song. And it's, it's deplorable because that is the word we feel that opens up the portal to all the other negativity. If you're in, okay, it's also good, okay for you, for your women folk to be called also B's and H's and thoughts. Cause we can get away with it because you're less than human. You're just an N. If you're in, it's okay for us to, to promote drug abuse and alcohol abuse and, and shooting and killing, killing you because you're just an N. So that, that word is just, we have to stop uh, using that word, calling ourselves or our people that word. And we can't stop it. Yeah, that that's going to be a lot of deprogramming because I, I know how serious you are. And, you know, you're, you're from a revolutionary family also. For for those of you guys who do not know, um, Kwabana's, um uncle is Ge- Geronimo Pratt. So uh, we're, we're not just talking about some some brother who who decided one day, e- even if he did, you know, decided one day we're going to clear the airways and I'm, I'm removing the N word from my vernacular. But he's he most definitely um, is from a revolutionary family. Now, you said during our pre-interview that we're celebrating 50 years of hip hop. But we don't recognize the celebration of jazz, blues, or, or even rock and roll for for that for that matter. And could it be, you know, it, well, you know what? Explain that before before I go into the question I was going to ask. Well, it's it's um it's a diabolical reason why we we believe because I just like Dr. Francis Cress Wilson said years ago that before she made transition. That rap music has annihilated the self-respect of black people. It has annihilated. And you can see just recently with the recent release of the song Hood Rats from Sukiyani and, and, and Sexy Red, or the song uh, The Wrong One from Glorilla and Her Friends, or this new song Bongos from Cardi B Gone and Megan Pete, Megan Pete the Stallion. I mean, it's, it's annihilated our self-respect. And those are just the sisters. We ain't talking about the, the brothers who did it. And so... Let's keep on pumping that up. Let's tell them it's the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. Don't forget now that hip-hop includes graffiti art, DJing, b-boying, rapping, and a knowledge element. And so, because you know, like I know, the first rap song we didn't really hear until a band, the Fatback Band, had King Tim III, uh, followed shortly by the Sugar Hill Gang with Rapper's Delight sequence and uh, with Funk You Up and then Curtis Bowles' Christmas rap. And this was all in the fall of 79 when this stuff started hitting. And that that's not 50 years ago. That's 44 years ago. So why are they doing that? Why are they, and every time you look up, they're celebrating and then they're celebrating it with uh, really some of the vintage rappers, but also some of the rappers who are currently right now, demeaning and denigrating our people and calling for our people to be shot and killed. And so why are we celebrating this? True. That's, that that is so true, you know. And so, where do we put the blame? Because we do have 
hip-hop artists that have, you know, conscious music, um, uplifting messages, or able to tell, even able to tell a horrific story that's happening in their community where, you know, they're describing the violence and what have you, but not encouraging for you to go out and, and, and commit violence against one another. So how do, how do we start, how do we stop this? And I guess that's leading to how do we build a united front against murder music? What, what is that movement that you guys have going on building a united front against murder music? Uh, A couple of things. We, we, we blame the corporations that push this poison on the masses of our people who support it, who sponsor it, uh, the radio stations. We, we put most of the blame on them. We're not responsible for, for this ongoing attack that's been on us for, for uh, decades right now, but our responsibility is to stop it. And so, therefore, we've been working with organizations and groups like, again, like I said, the National Black Leadership Alliance, the Nubian Leadership Circle, and we have an Elevated Arts and Culture Collective with that group, uh, CMOTAP, which is a committee to eliminate media offensive to African people. We had a forum with them, and we invited five Black Panther Party veterans, our brother from L.A., Harold Welton, David Lemieux, brother who played in uh, The Spook Who Sat By The Door, uh, Sister Wanda Ross, and they're both out of the Chicago chapter, um, Mama C. Charlotte O'Neill out of the Kansas City chapter, and our brother Victor Houston uh, out of the Oakland chapter. And so they reminded us, or they talked about this conference for United Front Against Fascism that they held in 1969. And they were saying, hey, this brother Victor in particular said, this is what we need. We need to have uh, a conference. And so we're, we're building. We don't, we're not having a conference, but we are building a United Front against this murder music because there are so many people who know what it is. They, they see what's going on. But like you said, we haven't organized ourselves. Like our brother was just talking earlier, we have to organize to put a stop to it. Like a brother Steele was just talking. We have to organize to put a stop to it. So that's part of what we're doing coming up on September 30th and October 1st. And we're going, we're doing it in Atlanta. That's where our meeting is going to be held at. Our meeting is held in Atlanta at the Arbor Avenue Research Library. Is this meeting, um, I know uh, it's in person, but is it also, is there going to be a virtual um, 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 option also to participate? We're, hoped, we're hoping to have a virtual option. And one of the things about this meeting that we, gotta, we must understand is that there are people who are out there who are, who are soft on this, who are thinking, well, they're just saying what's going on in their community, or uh, they're just trying to make money, or it's just music. And those people, they're not invited to this. I mean, you guys have a place. You're, you're heard every day all on the radio, and that's fine. But these are people who understand how horrific this stuff is and how we have to, we have to put a stop to it. I mean, I, I, let me give you an example. So there was a song. As a matter of fact, when I was in L.A. last time, the sister, I was on Crenshaw somewhere out there, uh, bottom of the hill. Not Crenshaw, on La Brea. And I stopped in this establishment and saw the sister. She had a Polo G shirt on. I said, oh, you like Polo G? She's like, yeah. Young sister. I said, you, are you familiar with the song Pop Out? He said, oh, yeah. So Pop Out is a song where the artist says, I'm going to pop out at your party, and you better tuck your chain because we're going to do a robbery, straight up. They say it on the song, play it on the radio. He said, we're not aiming for your uh, body. We're aiming for your head. 
So when I heard that, I went to I was at a barber shop out here in Gary initially, and I asked the brothers in the barber shop that they know about that song, and I told them those same lyrics. And none of the none of the grown folks knew about the song. However, there was a nine year old sitting in the chair who corrected me and said, "No, he didn't say shoot you in the head. He said shoot you in the brain, because brain rhymes with chain that they're going to snatch from you, that you're going to take from you, that they told you to, you better tuck it." And this is a nine year old. So they are targeting our children and our youth with this madness. And so that's why we have to protect our children. Our children are children they can't fend for themselves. And so, I mean, that's just one example of so many others, Sister Angela. Yeah, that, 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 you know, and I, I am not familiar with, with that song. I am familiar with Cardi B and Ma- Ma- uh, Megan um, the, the Stallion, um, for sure. And like, like I had to- to- told you, I, I, I am guilty of having a ratchet playlist on my phone for for sure. But mm-hmm. from our from our first conversation a few years ago about clearing the airways project, um, every now and then you pop up on my shoulder, brother Guabana, which is a good thing. Like on uh, like on like on cartoons. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but more more of of a spiritual conscious. Thing, right where where it's like uh you you may you know you may want to tone it down a little bit on, on this and and i think that's 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 where the deprogramming comes in that that's where you know the community organizing comes in so that you know you start to bring awareness and we become aware of what we're listening to and and why are we listening to this and what are our options you know what are our listening options yeah. you know for you know yeah, what's, for what's you know for this yeah, once we get this off, you know, we're going to have to do a lot of deprogramming. And, and it's tough. And it's tough when you see Harvey Mason Jr., who runs the Grammys, up with the, the vice president of the United States celebrating hip-hop with artists, again, who tell us to kill each other. And the Grammys not only award them, they reward them. We say the NAACP Image Awards, they reward, award artists who de- demean and degrade our image and tell us to kill each other. And, you know, Angela, the issue is, We've been having 10, about 10,000 Africans victims of homicides in this country almost every year for the last several years. And you promote that in your music? We were looking at the top 10 causes of death. And for African people in this country, ages 1 to 44, it's in the top 10. For any, everybody, every other group, it's not in the top 10. We're the only, it, it, we're the only, only group of people who have that homicides in our top 10. And you mean to tell me that 85% of the music that they play on these radio stations that targets our children and those age groups and our youth tells them to kill each other. It tells them to take each other's life. I'm going to run up in your house with a shoddy. Oh, and your mama might be at home. Not just each other's life, but our mama's life. I mean, we look at the four sisters, the four little girls who was killed in that bomb, with that bomb 60, 60 years ago yesterday. And horrific. Just ridiculous. And now we're promoting in song Little in try me, I'm gonna get your whole MF and family. And the Essence Awards had that sister singing at the Essence Awards. Nah, it's time to stop this. Been time to stop this. I agree. As a person with the ratchet list, I agree. And it sounds like we need to start targeting the Grammys, the the most definitely the NAACP image awards and essence yeah. you know our, our our black institutions most definitely we need to 
we need to target them. So what, you know, we're running, we're running out of time. What is the action plan um, for the, the, the larger uh, movement and what can be the action action plan for us as individuals quickly, please. We, we need individuals to monitor what's happening. A lot of people know already. I, I don't want to say listening because if you listen, it gets, it can kind of get to you. Sometimes I have to watch myself, but monitor what's going on with this music and speak out. Like you said, come out against these corporations and especially these so-called African-run institutions and people who are pushing this poison. Even though we know who's really controlling it, and they need to be checked too, and those corporations who sponsor that, but they need to be checked. Uh, we're working with the FCC to try to get them to stop it. We filed uh, formal complaints with them. They sided against us and went ahead with the radio stations that promote this poison, so they still have to be dealt with. Uh, we have resolutions in sitting in, uh, in cities around the country, in New York in particular, the largest city in the country, that has to be heard. It's been introduced, but it has to be heard and passed. And so they haven't done that yet. Uh, come join us on September 30th, October 1st, that weekend, Auburn Avenue Research Library in Atlanta, Georgia, as we, as we unite, as we build this united front to put a stop to this murder music. Yes. Where, where can we find you? You can catch us at the Clear the, Clear the Airwaves Project, and it's airwaves as an ocean waves. ClearTheAirwavesProject.org, or you can get us on social media. We have a big presence on Facebook at Clear the Airwaves Project. And, and we agree. We agree with our brother in terms of uh, us surviving out here. And we shouldn't have to live like this. In Chicago, I mean, our sisters, they got certain times a day when they can even go get gas because of, because they, for fear of being robbed. And what have you. And, and we shouldn't have to live like this. We have to change this. And our music, which has such an impact on us and our people, this has to stop. So that is very true. It does. It does have to stop. Well, Brother Kwabana, thank you so much. Always. Um, I, I do want to get uh, a report from you after the the um event that you guys are having the the community organizing event you're having in Atlanta um at the end of this month for on uh, this last weekend in in September uh, just to find out what are some of the action items and some of the action plans that that we can participate in but thank you so much for for joining me today and reaching out to me um about this matter okay well, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, thank you to my conversation piece guests, Derek Still, Executive Director, Social Justice Learning Institute in Inglewood, California. Check them out at sjli.org for various community engagements, actions, and support. And check out one of their community gardens in my town. City of Inglewood. Thank you, Kwabana Rosoli of the Clear the Airwaves Project for leading, organizing, and demanding the removal of violent, explicit lyrical content from the influential power of radio airwaves in order to expose youth to music that is more uplifting and community healing. Building a United Front Against Murder Music is meeting in Atlanta, Georgia, September 30th to October 1st, 11 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at the All Auburn 
Avenue Research Library, 101 Auburn Avenue Northeast. Part of the United Front Against Murder Music are Black Panther Party veterans, Black Lives Matter Gary, Indiana, National Black Leadership Alliance, Clear the Airwaves Project, Nubian Leadership Circle, and the Committee to to Eliminate Media Offensive to African People, Simultap. For more information, go to cleartheairwaves.org. Check out Kwamina and his host. They got a weekly wrap-up show, Conscious Hip Hop and Classic Funk. We didn't get to talk about this every Friday from 6 to midnight. Go to Clear the Airwaves. I'm sure he has a, a link on there. So thank you to our audio engineer, Wendell Handy, Michael Washington of MWASO for the opening and closing theme song. And always you, our listening audience. And thank you to Salim coming all the way out here from Occidental College. Yes. All right. Reach me on social media at mtasproductions.com follow kpfk on x formerly twitter as you listen to us worldwide anytime on kpfk.org to replay revisit and review any of my previous shows please go to kpfk.org and click on conversation piece i'm angela birdsong once again thank you for allowing me to share this special experience of conversation piece with you Remember, be on guard, stand firm on the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love.